What's the matter? My mother caught me. Caught you? Doing what? You know. I was alone. You mean? Uh -huh. She caught you? Where? I stopped by the house to drop the car off, yeah. and I went inside for a few minutes. Nobody was there. They're supposed to be working. My mother had a glamour magazine. I started leaving food. Glamour? So one thing led to another. So what did she do? First, she screams, George, what are you doing? My God! <laughs> and it looked like she was going to faint. She started clutching the wall, trying to hang on to it. Man. I didn't know whether to try and keep her from falling or zip up. What did you do? I zipped up. So she fell? Yeah. Well, I couldn't run over there the way I was. No, I guess you could. I wouldn't think so. So she fell, and then she started screaming, my back, my back. So I picked her up. I took her to the hospital. How is she? She's in traction. <laughs> Sorry. It's not funny, Elaine. I know, I'm fine. Seriously. Her back went out. She's got to be there for a couple of days. All she said on the way over in the car was, why, George, why? I said, because it's there. <laughs> Glamour? <laughs> All right, I'll tell you this, though. I am never doing that again. What? You mean in your mother's house or all together? All together. Oh, like, oh, oh give me yeah. a break. Yeah. Right. Come on. You don't think I can? No chance. <laughs> you think you could? Well, I know I could hold out longer than you. Care to make it interesting? <laughs> sure, how much? Hundred dollars? You're on. Wait a second, wait a second. Count me in on this. You? Yeah. You'll be out before we get the check. This too. Oh, no, no, no. Because you're a woman. God. So what? It's easier for a woman not to do it than a man. Oh. We have to do it. It's part of our lifestyle. <laughs> it's like uh, shaving. Oh, that is such a baloney. I shave my legs. Not every day. All right, look, you want to be in? Yeah. You got to give us odds. At least two to one. You got to put up $200. No, a thousand. Now, I'll, I'll put up 150. All right, you're in for 150. Okay, 150. All right, now, how are we going to monitor this thing? Well, obviously, we all know each other very well. I'm sure we'll all feel comfortable within the confines of the honor system. All right, come on. Get But you know what? I thought you were mysterious like my mother until it turned out the mysterious just meant depressed, all right? Hard to reach. I mean, I'm dying here. I don't like going out. You know that I get anxiety when I have to meet people. You know how hard that is. Everything you touch turns to shit! Like King Midas's idiot brother. Jesus. But if you two aren't the biggest pair of fuck-ups I've ever met in my entire life... Hello, everyone, and welcome to Give Us a Second uh, mini show series brought to you by the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is our 45th Give Us a Second, our favorite episodes of Seinfeld, Volume 2, 
Part of an ongoing series. Okay. <laughs> Discussing Seinfeld. We're back. Like we said, we'd be back. Uh, a little bit longer hiatus maybe than we originally planned, but cases are spiking. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why the we, reason. That's why we pushed it a week. Not, not because I just couldn't do it. You know, I think the show was suffering from some burnout. I think we finished strong for the year, but that yeah. Roadhouse episode. Whew. I had to kill myself to get that Roadhouse one up on New Year's Eve. Needed a little bit of a break. So we pushed everything a week longer than we wanted to. But now we're back with the long-anticipated volume two of our discussion of Seinfeld. This has got to be the most prepared I could be for one of these episodes in terms of like how many times I watched the episodes. Okay. Because I was ready to go that day, whatever the day was now, when we were going to record. Just had watched everything again that day. And then when we pushed it out now, I mean, this was probably like the fourth or fifth time that I watched all these episodes today. All right. We're going to be expecting a lot. Yeah. What happens in the library episode? (laughs) So... I guess in terms of keeping people up to date with the show, obviously we just did an episode of Married with Children as a regular episode. Bizarre still. but It was a little bit of a curveball and a last-minute change. However, going forward, other than special occasions, which may not happen for the longest time, we're sort of transitioning our television discussions mostly to the Give Us a Second arena, and the regular episodes are mostly going to be movies. Like I said, there might be exceptions to that. Yeah, we like to have rules just so we can break them. That's why we always kind of have to have these kind of sure. State of the Union addresses. Well, I'm just saying we were just discussing before recording several Give Us a Second ideas that are all TV-based. That's right. And it's a pain in the ass to try to think of them for the regular episodes. It's just not going to happen anymore, I don't think. Not much. Yeah. I barely watch any series, so it's not really organic that I'm going to be watching something and be like, we should do this for the show. I never really want to watch series, unless it's something that like I already know and love. You should check out Euphoria. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the list. <laughs> the Season two just premiered. The first episode was great. It's been on the list <laughs> since it started. It's catnip for morons, which means I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. You know that. You love that. Tweet at us. Tag us. Let us know what you think of different episodes. Engage us in discussion. We want to hear from you. At Greatest Pod on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us. We'd love that subscription so that you download everything. I still think that some people like to pick and choose, but I, I hope people yeah. want to check out everything we talk about. I'm expecting this to be a uh, big year in the download numbers. Hopefully. Our biggest yet. <laughs> if you would like a sticker, let us know on Twitter. Matt finally brought some over for me. I was checking them out, enjoying them. That's right. I've seen <laughs> Criticizing them immediately. A few people tweet about them when they get them. Yeah, those are... Uh, collector's items not a lot of them out there and there's a limit to them you know once they run out that's it i doubt it i doubt that (laughs) that they'll run out (laughs) (laughs) both yeah you have a standing order right now that's right find us on letterboxd zach 1983 matt crosby and finally we thank you so much for listening and we thank you so much for sending in your listener requests unfortunately As of today, which is what, the 15th or 16th, we are jam-packed now 
if we're only going to do one a month. I said that schedule would fill up quick. Yeah, and it did. That's right. So if you did not send one in or submit a listener request yet, you still can. Just know that it's going to take a while to get to it. I would not rule out the possibility of us trying to cram in extra episodes here and there to get through them. However, um, how panicked you're feeling about the situation with the show. Like all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're like, all right, we got to do more apps. Yeah, basically. But we thank those of you who sent them in. We appreciate it. We will get to them when we can, but we are going to try to do one a month. So there you go. You might be towards the end of the year. (laughs) FYI. (laughs) Okay. So let's get into Seinfeld. We got six new episodes to discuss. I do think that we are going to try to do at least two more parts of this series. They might be spread out over the next six months or so. Who knows? But Seinfeld's one of our favorite shows. We'll probably continue to talk about it from time to time. Or reference it. So how did we start this last time? Did we just jump in? I think so. I think, yeah. I think we just go in order. Now, I was telling you before the show, I thought that we kind of randomly decided which episodes we were going to do this time, but at least three of the episodes reference something from another one of these episodes, which was sort of weird how that worked out. Yeah. I think that if you do end up watching Seinfeld in order in a short amount of time over Netflix or something, you start to see how, despite it being a sitcom, despite it being a lot of self-contained stories, they do connect a lot more than you would think. Yeah, and they just slip in little lines and little references, and it's so different from what we're used to now with every movie franchise beating you over the head with their references and like everyone in the crowd applauding. This is a lot more subtle. They just slide it in. Okay, so we're going to start with an earlier episode, a little bit more obscure. It wasn't really on my radar as being like a, a top episode, but it is unique, I would say. Yeah, I love how you always want to point that out when it's one of my picks. Well, I'm sure it's probably <laughs> the same for me. I, I, <laughs> that, I, that's because you have a, a good eye for like hidden gems. Well, yeah, I just wanted to try to mix it up. And this one always stands out to me because it's got like a strange, I would almost describe it as like a almost like 40s noir storyline. Although I, yeah. I, I definitely think they're actually parodying Absolutely. something else. But that's what it feels like. Yeah, Philip Baker Hall almost seems like a Philip Marlowe type character. So the episode we're talking about is The Library, Season 3, Episode 5, written by Larry Charles, directed by Joshua White. And I just want to say something. It was actually a compliment to you because you've watched Seinfeld <laughs> so much that like the the weird deep cut episodes, I think, are your favorites. Where I'm more like, I've probably seen most of the episodes, but I definitely haven't seen all of them. And I'm oh, still God, like, I you can't know, believe I know, but I'm like, you know, the greatest hits guys, like all the big singles are still like my favorite episodes. I haven't gotten to that point where. Well, all no, that's weird, good because we yeah. don't want to get too weird. Yeah. Yeah. These. Yeah. It's a nice We need balance. to hit some of the, the big ones, which we are going to hit Absolutely. some of the big ones in yes. this episode. It's a mixture. So the New York Public Library claims Jerry never returned Tropic of Cancer, <laughs> which he checked out in 1971. Yeah. Just always so specific jumping off points like what a great premise to start us off so jerry ends up looking up an old girlfriend for his defense against a library cop which is one of the more insane premises you could ever imagine well i'm glad you're here so we can get this all straightened out would you like a cup of tea you got any coffee coffee yeah coffee no i don't drink coffee yeah you don't drink coffee how about instant coffee no i don't have you don't have any instant coffee well i don't normally who doesn't have instant coffee i don't you buy a jar of Folgers crystals, you put it in the cupboard, you forget about it. And later on, when you need it, it's there. It lasts forever. It's freeze-dried. Freeze-dried crystals. Really? I'll have to remember that. 
You took this book out in 1971. Yes, and I returned it in 1971. Yeah, 71. That was my first year on the job. Bad year for libraries. Bad year for America. Hippies burning library cards. Abby Hoffman telling everybody to steal books. I don't judge a man by the length of his hair, the kind of music he listens to. Rock was never my bag. But you put on a pair of shoes when you walk into the New York Public Library, fella. Look, Mr. Bookman. I, I returned that book. I remember it very specifically. You're a comedian. You make people laugh. I try. You think this is all a big joke, don't you? No, I don't. I saw you on TV once. I remembered your name from my list. I looked it up. Sure enough, it checked out. You think because you're a celebrity that somehow the law doesn't apply to you, that you're above the law? Certainly not. Well, let me tell you something funny, boy. <laughs> you know that little stamp? The one that says New York Public Library? Well, that may not mean anything to you, but that means a lot to me. One whole hell of a lot. Sure, go ahead, laugh if you want to. I've seen your type before. Flashy, making the scene, flaunting convention. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. It's this guy making such a big stink about old library books. Well, let me give you a hint, Junior. <laughs> Maybe we can live without libraries, people like you and me, maybe. Sure, we're too old to change the world. But what about that kid sitting down, opening a book right now in a branch of the local library and finding drawings of peepees and wee-wees <laughs> and a cat in the hat and the five Chinese brothers? Doesn't he deserve better? Look, if you think this is about overdue fines and missing books, you better think again. This is about that kid's right to read a book without getting his mind warped. Or... Maybe that turns you on, Seinfeld. Maybe that's how you get your kicks. You and your good time buddies. Well, I got a flash for you, Joy Boy. Party time is over. You got seven days, Seinfeld. That is one week. Kramer claims that at a nickel a day jerry's gonna owe fifty thousand dollars which the math does not even come close yeah. to i don't know what he's talking although about. that did have me thinking about like the old blockbuster late yeah. fees where they would just kill you like five dollars a day i do think that they would claim that those vhs tapes would be like a hundred dollars or something yeah. so that's like where they could go up to that much where i don't really think they could charge you more than the book right ever <laughs> yeah but even if they could, at a nickel a day for 20 years, even if you factor in leap years, you're at like $365.25. You're not at $50,000. <laughs> yeah. I do love this opening conversation because he's talking about this old girlfriend and this orange dress that she wore. Oh, and just how impactful it was on him. Yeah, which I totally get. Yeah. And Kramer refers to it as memory burn. <laughs> Ooh, memory burn. It turns out that the library has a investigator who pursues these claims and what his a job. name is bookman yeah and he's out on a case which is so funny <laughs> this is a plot like a lot of plots from seinfeld that could only be in seinfeld i don't think that other shows would attempt something this ridiculous but also try to keep it grounded maybe like arrested development or something yeah but I don't know. There's just something about Seinfeld where it exists in reality, at least for like the first six or seven seasons. And then it also would do these insane stories that made zero sense. Right. There's a guy named Bookman who's a, like a library cop. <laughs> like, what? We're totally buying it. Kramer hits it off with the female librarian right off the bat. Yeah. Kramer really is like a dog, which becomes like more clear <laughs> the more episodes you just kind of like watch in a row. 
one thing that jumps out to me about this episode is that Elaine's boss is Mr. Lipman, but it's a different Mr. Lipman. That's right. Which I believe we may have mentioned yeah, in I think the that last come episode up. Right. that we did, but how there was a brief other guy. And this is, I think, the only episode that yeah. this guy plays Mr. Lipman. They found somebody way funnier and right. better. So the book in question centers around a time period in the early 1970s when Jerry and George were in high school together. How did they find Jerry's information? I guess Bookman because he's that good. Yeah. Jerry, this well, he's book- he's probably like in the phone book or something. Yeah, that's true. I forgot. Different And he's time. on TV. That's and right. Stuff. Oh, yeah. And actually, it's mentioned that Bookman saw him on TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this 70s gym class teacher, Mr. Heyman- Oh, boy. Is a, is a bully guy that both Jerry and George encountered, and he seems to be- now a homeless man in front of the library (laughs) and it all stems from george squealing on him and his behavior and getting him fired and it's it led to this downward spiral yeah no other phys ed jobs available apparently i think it's interesting that in this time period which would have been the early 90s that the angle that they're coming at it from is that george is guilty Right. Feels guilt. Yes. I think now you would be like, well, fuck this guy. Yeah, he was a bad dude. He was like so terrible that if you had like a teacher who acted like this, you'd be like, well, whatever. He deserves it. <laughs> yeah, it was a different time. These people are getting run out now and it's celebrated, and rightfully so. He even contributed to giving George a wedgie. There's a lot of wedgie discussion in this episode. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about it before on usually television just because what bullying was in school and the way it is always portrayed. Certainly, I never experienced anything like this, but yeah. it's in movies a lot and shows and was in the 90s. But yeah, hard to imagine a gym teacher participating in a wedgie. Yeah, I could see that, though, in a more lawless time. I do think yeah. that the earlier days, like the 50s, 60s, 70s, into the 80s a little bit probably were way different. Yeah, and we've talked about it before, like these teachers at school kind of getting caught up in the mob mentality, <laughs> joining in with the group. Yeah, like the Group gy- the gym teacher from Carrie just like yeah. slapping a girl. <laughs> Things were just wild. I know. But the reason that I wanted to do this episode, of course, is Philip Baker Hall as Bookman. That's right. He's essentially doing a parody of Joe Friday from Dragnet, this hard-boiled oh, yeah. detective kind of guy. But the quick banter, like the conversation he has with Jerry about coffee, how fast-paced and back and forth, that's definitely supposed to be like Dragnet. Okay. Which gotcha. is a reference that probably goes over most people's heads, including mine. Although, I did actually see Dragnet a long time ago. It might have been on like Nick at Night or something. It was a yeah. million years ago. Well, they like putting like these weird characters and things, but then have Jerry like react to it as like a normal person. Yeah. Know? Like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Although some of the stuff that Bookman says when he comes to Jerry's apartment to like pursue this situation with the missing book is so fucking funny. The way he delivers it is so funny. Yeah. When you're thinking about that, think about this. <laughs> he keeps doing that move. Well, just having like this pretty great actor play this weird role in one episode of a sitcom is just great. On well, he own. was not really anybody okay. at the time. See, I, I know him from Hard Eight, so I'm like, he must be good, right? He was an older guy, and he had been in some stuff, but he really wasn't like anyone. And this was a definite career booster for him. It definitely shone a light on him and i don't want to say it directly contributed to things like hard eight but 
it may have played a hand. <laughs> yeah, because okay. he really wasn't doing much before this episode of Seinfeld. All right, and he became a guy, and he I ends guess up I in a lot assumed. of PTA movies. Yeah, what does he call Jerry? Like a good time Johnny or something? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> drawing peepees and wee wees. <laughs> <laughs> he ends up reappearing in the finale of the show. Oh okay, as that character. Yeah, during yeah. the trial. Okay. Yeah. So the girlfriend from the past is Sherry Becker, and it's sort of a jarring moment. I do think that they're supposed to somewhat be laughing on the fact that she's not like a hot young girl anymore, which right. is sort of like a weird joke to make. It's like, okay, well. There's a little you know, bit of that in the series in general. It's like it's 20 years later. Uh, she's when clearly we like a mother or something. To this two-faced situation, I feel like it's kind of insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I do think that besides the fact that she's no longer this hot young girl in a tight dress or whatever Jerry remembers her as, that it is sort of a commentary on the faultiness of memory because there's some things that Jerry is 100% sure that he yeah, right. remembers and yeah. then it turns out it's not how it actually was. Yeah, this had me actually thinking about Serial, the podcast, or yeah, people trying any... to remember that day. <laughs> God, how many years has it been since you dropped a Serial <laughs> reference But this, this? It really did remind me of that because the, him having this very specific memory of what happened on that day and then it turned out to be wrong. Well, yeah, that's why eyewitness testimony is not really considered as reliable as you would think, because people remember things the way they remember them, but that doesn't mean that's how it happened. Yeah. And so Sherry's there to correct the color of the dress and the type of gum she chewed, but also to correct what happened to the book, which is that Jerry actually gave it to George, <laughs> and they read from a different book, him and Sherry, and he returned that book, which was the Tropic of Capricorn. Or do we have it backwards? Is that the one that's... Uh, whatever. Yeah, the yeah. two Henry Miller books. Right. Whatever. So Tropic of Capricorn is the one that the gym teacher has. Right. So they <laughs> the episode does like a couple of flashbacks to Jerry and George in high school. Which, which is funny. I don't really think they ever <laughs> did in another episode. No, and it looks ridiculous. Like <laughs> Yeah, I guess like Larry David was pissed that the wigs were so terrible, but I think it adds to it. Oh, I know. I think it makes it funny. I think like the weirdness of it makes it even more enjoyable because Whenever George screams, it's like insane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't have to be quiet. Listen to the echo. Hello! 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 <laughs> Mr. Bookman. I remember when the librarian was a much older woman. <laughs> Kindly, discreet, unattractive. We didn't know anything about her private life. We didn't want to know anything about her private life. She didn't have a private life. When you're thinking about that, think about this. The library closes at 5 o'clock, no exceptions. This is your final warning. Got that? QP down? Bookman has, like, one final moment at the library when the librarian and Kramer are there, and they're, like, saying, hello, hello. And he shows up, and he's like, hello. And then he goes on that whole thing about the private lives of librarians. Yeah. <laughs> I love like the quick things in episodes. It'll just be like a quick funny thing in the background. Like when Bookman shows up to Jerry's apartment and all we know is that Kramer expressed interest in this librarian chick and that she's going into Kramer's apartment. <laughs> we just see in the background real quick. Yeah. She's like ducking out on work. She's actually like scared of him as right. if he's like her father or something. You know, it's like a, this weird dynamic. Yeah. And then they get busted at the library and Bookman's oh. like, I remember when the librarian was an older woman. And we didn't know her history. <laughs> we, didn't we didn't know, know anything her about life. her private yeah. life. She didn't have a private life. <laughs> Finally, a great line from Jerry. 
in regards to Christopher Columbus. Oh yeah. Columbus Euro trash. <laughs> <laughs> I like the part when they're explaining the wedgie stuff to Elaine. Yeah. Which rightfully so. The people who didn't experience this, which I'm gonna include myself in. You didn't know what a wedgie was no, before no. you saw this? No, 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 no. I'm just talking about like whenever this is portrayed that someone would explain this to female characters or something. It's just like the horror. Oh yeah. What is this that you guys are doing to each other? But then I like the quick joke about like, well, what is it that you girls did to each other? It's just like just make fun of them until they developed an eating disorder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she thinks that she's like gonna be fired from her job and Jerry's like, well, maybe you're getting a promotion. And oh, she's yeah. like, maybe I'm getting a wedgie. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to our second choice, The Virgin, season four, episode 10, written by Peter Melman and, get this, the Farrelly brothers, Peter oh. and Bobby, the one episode of Seinfeld they worked on before yeah. Dumb and Dumber or any of their hit movies. This is probably my favorite episode out of all the ones we're doing on this installment today. This is such a George-centric episode, which there's a couple of, but the overall idea of him like being in this relationship with Susan and him having this job as a writer for a TV show and that being the way that he thinks he could get women, but he can't because he's dating Susan. Like That whole dynamic is incredible to me. Just a couple of quick notes. It was directed by Tom Sharon, who was the primary director for a long time until he was replaced by Andy Ackerman later, which we'll get to. It was also the 50th overall episode of the show. And I did want to say that we are going by the IMDb ordering of the show. The Netflix uh-huh. ordering is wonky because they combine certain episodes and then not other ones. And their, their numbering gets a little off at a All certain right. point. It's different from everywhere else. But anyway, Jerry finds out that the girl he likes is still a virgin. George wants to end his relationship with Susan to exploit his writing gig. As a pickup line. (laughs) Legendary move. I was talking to this guy, you know, and I just happened to throw my purse on the sofa. And my diaphragm goes flying out. (laughs) So I just froze, you know, uh, staring at my diaphragm. You know, it's just lying there. So then this woman, the one who sold me this hair thing, she grabbed it before the guy noticed. So, I mean, big deal, right? So I carry around my diaphragm. Who doesn't? I mean, like, it's a big, big secret that women carry around their diaphragms. You never know when you're going to need it, right? (laughs) I should be going. So, uh, uh, we'll talk about the hooks, then. Yes. What? Was it something I said? She's a virgin. She just told me. Well, I didn't know. Well, it's not like spotting a toupee. <laughs> I never knew how to pronounce her name, if it's Leaves or Leavies, but Jane Leaves as Marla. She played Yep, that's right. Daphne, Daphne on Frasier. Very we recognizable. Were dis- we were discussing before the show Daphne and Roz. From Frasier. I was always a big fan. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) Big fan right here. Good eye for talent, the casting on that show. Yeah, Frasier's actually a very funny show. Yeah. I don't know if people appreciate it now. It it was on for a while, right? Oh, yeah. And it was a big hit, too. Yeah, yeah. It was a spinoff from Cheers. I did a little bit of a run. I couldn't make it through the whole thing. I mean, there's just so many episodes. But 
I watched about half of the show's run on Netflix. It's not on there anymore. And it's a very funny, farcical show. Okay. I don't know if it would really fit into today's world or not. I don't know. But I enjoyed it. As you mentioned, George is trying to exploit the fact that he's a writer, except, of course, he's not, and they have not written anything. <laughs> and just the way he acts at that oh, bar know. in the opening scene is so embarrassing. Yeah, I love it, though. One of the lines that he says, I finally have a good answer to the question, what do you do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boy, is that relatable. <laughs> My whole life when people ask me that question, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, that would, I would just end the conversation. Like, I don't want to talk you about this. You should say this. podcaster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I do now. <laughs> George is perpetually unhappy, and there's a certain amount of irony, of course, because now that he does have something to say, he is attached to Susan, and as Jerry points out, he can't just ditch Susan because that's the whole reason he has something to say, because Susan is one of their big supporters. (laughs) She's a high-level executive at NBC, and they're trying to get this show off the ground. Of course, though, early on when he's talking to... Marla's friend, Stacy, he's <laughs> acting as if he has already written and that this is his gift, and he's just saying all these just embarrassing things. Jerry, Marla, Stacy. <laughs> oh God, with like the ski lift tag. On oh, his coat. I know. <laughs> that is so up my alley. Just like <laughs> doing the dumbest thing, thinking that like it's something that's gonna get some attention. Kramer has a TV addiction, and he's given his TV to George. And then, of course, he keeps coming over to Jerry's apartment <laughs> to watch TV. I feel that, like they recycled this idea several times with Kramer, different that, variations yeah, of yeah. it. Well, that overall idea, that was like me with any addiction that I ever had. I'd stop buying cigarettes and then just like hang out with people that smoked yeah. so that I could bum them. <laughs> the whole sequence in which Marla reveals that she's a virgin is completely hilarious. The build up to it, the way that like Jerry's distracted, he's offering her a snapple, and then Elaine's buzzing up, and then Elaine comes up, and she's right the after him. She says, "I'm a virgin," and then she's talking about her diaphragm <laughs> falling out, not out of her, but out yeah. of her purse. <laughs> a lot of diaphragm talk. I'm not sure. I feel like diaphragm use has gone down dramatically since the '90s. Yeah, other there's a lot of other options prevention for birth out there. Yeah. Now. yeah. Then the follow up where she goes to monks with. Marla and oh, I know. starts talking about how after you have sex, the man wants to leave yeah. and everyone's a farmer because they have to wake up early. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. But I also love when they call back to this and Jerry's like, look, I wouldn't take a lot of relationship <laughs> advice from Elaine. <laughs> so the major push of the episode is that Jerry and George are supposed to have like come up with story ideas for this show that they're pitching to NBC and that they're trying to get off the ground. Which, and they've procrastinated for so long. Yeah, this goes across several episodes where they're supposed to be working on the show. It won't be the main point of the episode. It's just at some point they're supposed to be working on the show and then they do something else. And, and they're right up against the deadline now. So George tosses out the idea of hit <laughs> getting into a car accident with a guy who doesn't have insurance and then the judge decrees that this guy's going to be his butler. Yeah. And it's the worst idea ever, <laughs> which builds upon an idea that we talked about in volume one of our favorite episodes of Seinfeld when we were talking about the meta vibe of the show and how it comes to like a head during this NBC show storyline because the NBC executives just totally eat up this terrible idea. That's one of the things I love about this show. Sometimes you know what they're setting up and it's still so great when it plays out. And they're non-receptive to the Chinese restaurant episode, which happened in real life, which we talked about last time. 
Of course, when they get to the meeting, Bob Balaban, who plays Russell Dalrymple, the head of NBC, is not there. He had like a scheduling conflict in real life, so they had to come up with a reason. And they're like, "There's a problem on the set of Blossom. <laughs> Need to fly to L.A." Dude, I love when they're in the NBC studio and they just have that like framed picture of Quantum Leap up there. <laughs> yeah, oh boy, awesome. did that remind me of my childhood. <laughs> that was like a show I watched with like my dad when I was a kid. <laughs> and then George tries to like chase down david letterman who he thinks he sees and then <laughs> because he's trying to get him to go out with susan yeah he wants to break up with susan without upsetting her so he's gonna try to get david letterman who she has a crush on i mean it's absurd <laughs> so then he comes into the meeting late and then he's just oh my god this is like actually i think one of the weirder things of the episode that he doesn't realize that kissing susan is yeah it's it, I, I thought the same thing it yeah. seems like something they would have had to have talked about Susan knows this is not going to fly. You can't let right. them know that this yeah. is happening. Like, she would have definitely said something. But even before he kisses her, that, like, irrational yeah. confidence, George, that you see a few times throughout the right. show's run, every now and then when he starts acting like this, you're like, oh, no. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know disaster is imminent. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime he's up, he's about to be you down. You know, when he takes yeah. his hat and he puts it on backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which he actually does yeah. have a backwards hat at some man, point. I, 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 I do just love Jerry using the, the butler pitch and those executives just laughing yeah, like, like uncontrollably from it. He mentions like, oh, yeah, I'll be walking around with like one of those neck brace things on. And they're like, oh, yeah, anytime you just see one of those things, you start laughing. So George kisses Susan, which ends up getting Susan fired. Oh, yeah. And like some of the great George dialogue when Jerry's like explaining to him that he's going to have to stay with her until... She finds another job <laughs> doing The Godfather 3. Just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Yeah, I wasn't sure how I felt about that, actually. It felt like almost too obvious. Yeah, I know a lot of other ones are more subtle than that, but it was more of like the punctuation on his other rant yeah, about like it. Yeah, what it's actually being applied yeah. to is funny. With Elaine's words ringing in Marla's ears, she doesn't know what to do. She and Jerry are starting to heat up, and then Elaine ends up being sued over <laughs> this plays out in like future episodes Absolutely. beyond yeah. even like the next one which we're going to talk about yeah what's minute. the delivery guy's name like ping, ping yeah. yeah one of the other uh great george moments in that episode is when him and jerry are talking about marla being a virgin and george is basically like you know i don't think i could do it they always remember the first time i want to be forgotten <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then Susan ends up breaking up with George off camera over him getting her fired and Jerry and Elaine are talking about it. And Jerry's just like, yeah, I don't know. They were pretty good together. And Elaine's like, yeah, since she met him, she's been vomited on. Her family's cabin's been burned down. She learned her father's a homosexual and she got fired from a high paying network job. Yeah, I'd say things were real great. <laughs> yeah, and things won't go better for her down the road when she ends up getting back with George. Oh, no. <laughs> Until finally sweet release. (laughs) But I do like at the very end, uh, now he's free and he's able to use this pitch and he just gets shut down by these girls in the bar because he's writing a sitcom. Although, I mean, I think most random women you'd meet in a bar, if you were writing for a TV show, that would probably be a pretty good Well, if they weren't interested, they would, if they didn't like it, they would, they would be like polite about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't like laughing. (laughs) But it is Calling out to other women like, can you believe this asshole? (laughs) He's writing a sitcom. So as we did in part one, we're going to double dip on season four right into the very next episode. Yeah. 
one of the big ones, a heavy hitter, one of the probably the most or one of the most famous episodes of Seinfeld. Yeah, for a lot of reasons and well deserved because the idea is so funny and it's one of those great examples of you get it without them ever saying it. We're, of course, talking about The Contest, Season 4, Episode 11, written by Larry David, directed by Tom Sharone. George's mother throws her back out when she falls down after catching George masturbating. So the gang partakes in a contest of self-denial. <laughs> they never actually say masturbating in the episode or any other more vulgar euphemism for it. Obviously, yeah. there's a ton of phrases you could use. They don't use any of them. They, they stick to... Oh, it's like more creative ways of talking about it. Dawson's Creek, you ever walk your dog? Oh, yeah. In the first episode. <laughs> There's a naked woman across the street. Where? Second floor from the top. See the window on the left? Wow, who walks around the house like that? Maybe she's a nudist. You know those nudist Conley people? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. In these nudist colonies, do they eat naked in the dining room? I would imagine it's all naked. What about the chambermaids? Are they naked too? They're naked. The gardener's naked. Bellhops. One big nudorama. Hey. Hey. Well, where's my money? Who caved? Not me. Not me. What are you looking at? There's a naked woman across the street. Uh, (laughs) This is going to be the easiest money I've ever made in my life. My friend Joyce is teaching an aerobics class. I'm going to go tonight. Yeah, well, the the waitress should have taken it back. (laughs) So then I got a call this morning. You know, I was uh, chosen to go on the space shuttle. We're going to Mars. Uh Uh-huh. Have a good time. (laughs) I'm out. I'm out. I'm out of the contest. You're out? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that was fast. Well, it was that woman across the street. You know, you better be careful, buddy. She's going to get you next. And then there were three. Yeah, I love when they're initially putting up money for the bet, and it's going to be $100, and Elaine wants in, and they wanted to give more, and... I think it's George that says you need to pay 200 and Kramer immediately goes, a no, thousand. a thousand. <laughs> Which, this might be controversial, but I kind of agree. Yeah. I do think that it needs to be like a lot higher. But <laughs> While they explain the reasons. <laughs> Larry David won the Emmy for this episode in 2009. It was ranked number one of the 100 greatest episodes of all time. Master of My Domain became a pop culture term okay used outside of the show even in a way right this is the first time we see estelle harris as george's mother which is just oh i didn't realize home fucking run casting absolutely she looks like george and you just you almost understand immediately everything (laughs) how he is the way he is get it (laughs) the episode itself has been parodied or referenced or paid homage to in beavis and butthead family guy it's always sunny in philadelphia big mouth curb your enthusiasm 
That's crazy. That this Everywhere. Is the first episode that she's in, because when George does his imitation of her, it's like so good. George, what are you doing? <laughs> like you picture her doing that reaction. It's referenced in later episodes, the outing, the puffy shirt, which we may <laughs> yeah. get to in a minute. Okay. And the finale, when George later admits to cheating in the contest. <laughs> it is strange. George stopping off for like a quick moment at his parents' house decides that he's just going to jack off to a Glamour magazine. <laughs> well, you know, any port in storm. I could understand <laughs> acting like that when you're like... Yeah. 16 or you know 14 or something whatever it's like you know how does he <laughs> phrase it with the magazine he almost says it like i don't it was know. there it was calling to me or something you know it's like more like you know we hit it off <laughs> as jerry says to elaine though it's part of our lifestyle <laughs> which i don't know if truer words have ever been spoken <laughs> i don't know in my case i might say it is my lifestyle it's like shaving my legs and kramer immediately you don't shave your legs every day so Marla carries over into this episode without really knowing the specifics. If you're watching this for the first time, you can almost see the writing on the wall that oh, yeah. something disastrous right. is about to happen. You have a virgin in the mix. You have four degenerate friends in a contest of not masturbating. Becoming increasingly irritable throughout the episode. Of course, to make things interesting, there's a naked woman across the street who's just constantly nude. Yeah. And Kramer leaves the apartment, comes back, and slams money on the table, declaring, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out, which is an unbelievably hilarious moment. Absolutely. I was wondering, though, and I, I wouldn't change it, but I was wondering if you were going to do like an alternate cut of it to have him, while he's in the apartment, before he leaves, yeah. drop the hundred off and be like, I'm out, and then yeah. he just and he exits on that line rather than enters on it. You know what I mean? I don't know. It, it's great the way. No, it, I know. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, yeah. change it, but I'm just right. saying, like, would that be funny too? Yes, I it think would. that could be funny. Absolutely, it would be. <laughs> but it's something too that's like the speed in which he leaves the room is funny too. I mean, he's looking at this naked woman for like two seconds and <laughs> has to go back to his apartment. Presumably, he can see her from his apartment because oh yeah, he knew about it to then come in to tell Jerry and George about it. Right. I do love the world in which they're living where that's like enough <laughs> pre-internet porn where it's just like, oh, there's a naked woman. Yeah. I'm going to be able to get Although this done. they talk about it. That was always like the dream as a young boy that, you know. Oh, I know. It still is the dream. <laughs> yeah. We work somewhere where we hate, we can see like windows at a hotel and like yeah. you see people having sex Shocking against the windows. Shocking amount of people not closing the blinds in hotels. No, I, I, I do think that like some of the people fucking are probably doing it on purpose. Yeah, but they there's, want... I, I mean, I've seen a decent amount of people changing there over the years too. Yeah, they probably think like no one can see them. Yeah, which is strange because the the windows because we're looking out of are like directly can. across. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is the dream though. Yeah. So George goes to visit his mother in the hospital, and then there's like a very sexy nurse. Getting... Insane. A sponge bath to like another sexy sounding woman that you never see. Yeah, obviously they're like ratcheting all these things up. The sexual energy that they have to fight against to stay in this contest. And they parody this themselves in the outing whenever it's two men. Oh yeah. I think. Isn't that what it is? Okay. When he's when there's the two men over there and he's like getting uncomfortable about it. That's probably right, yeah. <laughs> the outing is definitely one of those episodes where I think people would struggle with it today. Even I, though I think so. When you rewatch it, it's not nearly as bad as you think it's going to be. That's probably true for most of this stuff. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's as bad as you think it <laughs> yeah. would be. There is like a little bit of gay panic in it, sure. but you know, 
that was very common in the 90s. Right. I, I think like acting otherwise is insane. JFK Jr. is in Elaine's aerobics class. We never see him. He's just an off-camera character. Yeah, weird for me to see him be referenced in this episode. When I was a kid living in Massachusetts, we were like at the beach the day that his plane... You know, back then, no cell phones or anything with you could just get the information so there was like low flying planes and helicopters which like going by the beach all day and then we like got back that night oh yeah they were looking for jfk jr's small plane that he was flying just sort of a weird day in my life jfk jr doesn't come up very often no i know it is one of those weird reference points it's not quite as uncomfortable as when elaine wants her boyfriend to change his name to oj simpson or oh yeah some joke right. like that yeah. but yeah it is one of those things where you're kind of like huh hmm yeah what year would that have been? Like 97? Yeah, nine, I would say 98. Or, yeah, probably 98. Yeah, somewhere right in there. One of the most real-ass shit moments of this show is when they cut to everybody trying to fall asleep. Oh, and yeah. they're unable to sleep because they haven't been masturbating. And then it goes just, to Kramer, just sound asleep, <laughs> peaceful. Yeah. Everyone else just like restlessly rolling around in their bed, like slamming their pillow into their face. That is some yeah. real shit. <laughs> So George now is excited to go visit his mother because there's this sponge bath show going on behind the curtain. Jerry, my poor mother in the hospital. And then his mom's like, well, can you bring me food? And he's like, can you just wait? Can you just wait? Because he knows that this sponge bath is happening at a certain time. And just his mom yelling over top of it, I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) There's some coffee inconsistencies. Sure, there is, yeah. He said in the library episode which we just did that he doesn't keep coffee he doesn't house. keep coffee and then he says that he has coffee but he doesn't have this kind of coffee or whatever not instant coffee just a little bit there there definitely are inconsistencies with the show they didn't keep like a massive yeah, show yeah. bible right. to keep track of all of this stuff like very early on kramer says he takes baths and then there's an episode where jerry's like well, why don't you take baths whenever the shower's like messed up or something and He's like, oh, I would never do that. That's gross. <laughs> well, there's you know I mean? too many oddities in every episode. Yeah. They didn't keep track of every single bit of information. So Marla is ready to have sex. She's and then picked Jerry all she, these years. Yeah. I didn't understand that. They don't make it a point to tell us, the viewer, why she's remained a virgin this long. She looks like she's probably about 30 years old or something. I don't want to be like, I'm like uh, Elaine. I'm not anti-virgin. I'm just. No, no. I do think that. Though, at a certain point, especially when you're making a whole episode of television about it, that you are sort of pointing out that it's an interesting feature. So they don't tell us the reason why she's a virgin. Yeah. They don't make it a point to mention that she's like religious or anything like that. So, okay, so she clearly has just not found the right guy or something. It just hasn't happened. I think that she still hasn't, though. Right. And so... (laughs) They reference her previous boyfriend who wanted her to move in with her, which seems like that was years ago because I yeah. believe the Berlin Wall fell in like 89, right? So they're talking about something that happened like years earlier and then still hasn't lost her virginity and then is just ready to give it to Jerry well, that's, sometimes immediately. Sometimes it's just that moment. It's just whoever the guy is at that moment. I know. It sucks. <laughs> but for some reason, Jerry then tells her about the contest oh, they've I know. been having. Just completely blowing it. And that's like a George move. It is a George move. It, yeah. It's so baffling, too, because he was uncomfortable with Elaine doing the diaphragm talk in front of her in the previous episode. Right. And now he's just thinking, this is a good idea? Crazy. <laughs> Which offends her, and she leaves. She ultimately intercepts JFK Jr., who was looking for Elaine. The two of them get together, <laughs> and our heroes are all 
Everyone sleeps soundly that Left night. Left to their own devices. And we don't actually find out in this episode who officially wins. It just gets referenced Yeah, because it was down to George and Jerry. Yeah. Which was an upset. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. The next episode is The Puffy Shirt, season five, episode two, written by Larry David, directed by Tom Sharone. Kramer's soft-spoken lady friend, Leslie, starts a new line of clothing, and Jerry accidentally agrees to wear it on the Today Show. You know, since you agreed to wear the puffy shirt on the Today Show, she's getting all these orders from boutiques and department stores. Uh-huh. Since I what? <laughs> agreed to wear the puffy shirt. What are you talking about? When you said that you would agree to wear the puffy shirt on the Today Show. <laughs> this? I agreed to wear this? Yeah, yeah. Well, when did I do that? When we went to dinner the other night. What, are you crazy? What were you talking about when I went to the bathroom? I don't know. I couldn't understand a word she was saying. I was just nodding. There you go. Where'd I go? You mean she was asking me to wear this ridiculous shirt on national TV and I said yes? Yes, yes, you said it. But I, I didn't know what she was talking about. I couldn't hear her. Well, she asked you. I, I can't wear this puffy shirt on TV. I, I mean, look at it. It looks ridiculous. Well, you gotta wear it now. All those stores are stocking it based on the condition that you're gonna wear this on the TV show. The factory in New Jersey is already making them. They're making these? Yes, yes. This pirate trend that she's come up with, Jerry, this this is going to be the new look for the 90s. You're going to be the first pirate. Well, I don't want to be a pirate. Yeah, the premise for this one, a relatable one for me. Just how many times in my life has somebody said something to me? Not necessarily because they were a low talker, but I think I'm not a very good listener. So, like, the amount of times that people have said things in my life that I'm just like, uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, no I know. idea. You know? I know that. <laughs> Everyone knows it in my life. The actual shirt from the show has been put into the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Okay, piece of art. And speaking of George's parents and their first appearances, Jerry Stiller, first appearance. They actually reshot scenes with the character in the Handicap Spot episode, which we skipped over, obviously. Ooh. But George's father was played by someone else, and then they reshot the scenes. So you can't actually find that anymore. They did oh, not wow. do that with Jerry's father. Jerry okay. had a different yeah, father right. very early on. They just left it. That dinner scene with George and his parents, who he's now living with again, I believe, right? Yes, yes. He has moved back in with them. Is unbelievable when he's when Frank is talking about this. I think he moves back this. in with them in this episode. Yes, you're yeah, right. Yeah. I just skipped over because I wanted to talk about that funny scene. because we actually have him moving back in with them and then getting to a position where he can move back out. With the next episode we do. Yeah. We got the whole run crammed yeah. in there. No, just that dinner scene with Frank when he's talking about the silver dollars. That always oh, was funny I know. to me. Yeah. He's like, what is this insane <laughs> man talking about? <laughs> Michael Mitz, the photographer in this episode, also appeared in the Chinese restaurant as the man Ooh, on okay. the phone. Yeah. George wants to fight. That's right. It's the same guy. There's no scenes at Monk's in this episode. It's a rare one in That's that That's right. Sense. They're actually in that random restaurant. It kind of looks like an Eaton Park style restaurant. Yeah. You know? This episode actually confirms George as the winner of the contest when he mentions it. 
for some reason he's mentioning it to perfect strangers <laughs> for some reason i don't know really know why yeah well this is george trying to find his calling and accidentally does as mentioned george moves back in with his parents they have an argument he and jerry do as to whose parents are crazier which is actually pretty funny jerry elaine kramer and kramer's girlfriend leslie are out to dinner and she's a low talker r.i.p wendell meldrum who played leslie she just passed away in 2021 that's too bad seinfeld was the king of episodes with these side characters that would appear that would have like one bizarre trait or characteristic that would make them stand out right man hands oh yeah close talker low talker (laughs) two-face But it does speak to like how mean people are, how Absolutely. they immediately like assign yeah. <laughs> like a name right. to somebody. Yeah. Although some of them are ridiculous. Like when she talks at the table, oh, like you cannot yeah, understand what it's she's cartoonish. saying. Cartoonish. <laughs> George accidentally gets pulled into the world of hand modeling. <laughs> well, his which whole... I don't think anyone would have saw coming. No, which all the characters in the show kind of make reference to as well. But his whole line of I do know that I have some sort of talent, something to offer. I just don't know what it is yet. I think everyone in my life has had that conversation with me. <laughs> you should look into hand modeling. Yeah. Although I'm looking right now and no, it is like yeah, a wolf that's man a rough show. City. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Well, they need hand models for wolfmen. <laughs> Jerry finds out he agreed to wear the puffy shirt, which is Leslie's creation. On the Today Show, he's making an appearance for a charity thing that he's involved with that Elaine is spearheading. Again, just one of these insane premises that they just continue to go with. (laughs) He would actually wear this. Yeah. I think that somebody like Jerry would just say no. You look like the Count of Monte Cristo. (laughs) This was the first time that they went to the well of, but I don't want to be a pirate, which is, of course, iconic, but then they would redo it several times right. throughout. I don't want to be a cowboy or whatever, yeah. you know, different things, which was not always my favorite move on their part. Sometimes they they found something funny and then tried to, like, recreate it. Right. Like one of their go-to things or something, which I guess some people like, but I don't know. I, I sort of like the more standalone. Like, so the first I. time they do it is funny, and then each time they do it after that, it's, diminished returns this is another famous emmy nominated episode it's considered among the top tier i think but one of the more underrated aspects of it is the whole dynamic with george's parents and him now living with them and like sitting on the couch and going to this restaurant and just his life and what it's become (laughs) just so sad because his parents are completely insane which is just so funny (laughs) you sort of get like it would be hard for him to maintain his friendship and like his regular appearances with Jerry, not living in the city anymore. He's out in Queens. Yeah, yeah. But I guess you have to make that extra effort because you don't want to completely yeah that's fade true. into <laughs> this life. <laughs> so George gets this opportunity to have pictures of his hand taken, and the one guy who's like running the show is David Brisbane, uh-huh. who was like the owner or manager of the Dude Ranch on Hey Dude. Oh wow, yeah. I don't know if you recognize. No, that I guy. didn't. <laughs> They're referencing Ray McKigney, who was also a hand model, who was like the best ever. And they're like, maybe George could be like the next Ray McKigney. And they have this whole story of him yeah, and how he was basically obsessed with jacking off because no woman could live up to the beauty of his own hands. Get a reference to the contest. You mean, that's right. He was not the master of his domain. (laughs) 
yeah, that almost fits in with what they would do with, but I don't want to be a pirate later. They were like very pleased with themselves. So they had to like self-reference. But this time it kind of works because it's right. just so absurd yeah, to say yeah. that. They actually flew Jerry out to New York because, folks, I don't know if you knew this, they actually filmed Seinfeld in California. <laughs> right. They flew Jerry out to New York to appear on the Real Today Show set with Brian Gumbel wearing the pirate shirt. And then things pay off when Jerry flips out on the air, which causes Leslie to scream. And he's uh-huh. like, that I heard. And then in the dressing room area... George comes in and he's like, what the fuck are you wearing? <laughs> yeah, he actually says, what <laughs> yeah, the yeah. fuck? Just goes on a whole rant about how terrible it is to Just Leslie pushes him, him into an iron that's yeah. still left plugged in. <laughs> he fucks his, up his hands. Ruining his career. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of like the contest in that it's an episode that if we're doing four part series with six episodes each, I think we have to cross the puffy shirt off. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely one of the more memorable moments and it's crucial in the sense that it's the first appearance of jerry stiller which is a big addition to the show absolutely you have this show that's like clicking at a high level now it's in season five every scene jerry stiller is in is a great scene in the show (laughs) he's just yeah turning it up to 100 every time he's on screen what an unbelievable addition to have this deep into a show show's run i love the end of this episode where they're all talking and kramer's broken up with that girl and he says i just can't be with someone whose life is in complete disarray (laughs) Just the king of, like, nothing going on in his life. Yeah. They have those homeless guys wearing the puppy yeah, That's shirt. right. Yeah. Can you spare a doubloon for an old buccaneer? <laughs> Jerry's like, they actually look pretty good. We're double dipping in season five as well, and we're going to jump to the end of the season, right. the finale Another of great season five. finale episode. They would bring it for their finales. The opposite, season five, episode 22, written by Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld, and Andy Cowan. Directed by Tom Sharon. Such a great premise. It's really perfect. It's a perfect episode of Seinfeld in the sense that everything about the George character just highlighted. And I, I just love the idea. Him doing the opposite of everything he's ever done. And it, it rewarding him. This would be the last episode directed by Sharon. Andy Ackerman would take over as the primary director of the show. Obviously with television, directors don't matter as much as the right. writers. Especially yes. back then. Television's slowly transforming into a director's medium, but it's still primarily a writer's medium. Certainly with shows like Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones, I think that's kind of upped the ante a little bit. Yeah, it has, although it's still not the same as movies. But yeah. George decides that in order to turn his life around, he must do the exact opposite of what he would usually do. (laughs) Someone should give me this advice. Elaine is having a lot of bad luck while Jerry keeps breaking even. Kramer gets the coffee table book published. (laughs) Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. (laughs) My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's all been wrong. (laughs) Tuna on toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. (laughs) I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. (laughs) Untoasted with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. (laughs) Well, there's no telling what can happen from this. You know, chicken salad's not the opposite of tuna. Salmon's the opposite of tuna because salmon swim against the current and the tuna swim with it. Good for the tuna. 
George, you know that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents <laughs> don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. <laughs> In a way, this is a transitional turning point episode. George is going to end up getting a new job that will dominate a lot of what happens in the future. Right. And changes the direction of the show a little bit. There is sort of a delineation, I think, in this moment of George. There's the George pre this episode and post this episode, and they do seem slightly different. Okay. It was a true life change. It felt like it, yeah. yeah. The show... I think shifts a little bit. It yeah. becomes way more popular as these seasons go on. It's slowly becoming like the number one show and everything. Uh huh. And by the time you get to the last two seasons, as I've referenced earlier, I do think that the show sort of lifts off of earth a little bit and gets into like That's this right. alternate world that isn't quite real anymore. But I do think that the first five seasons of George is just this total loser who can't hold a job that's right yeah you know what cycle of the same seem like like things are more together in his life like once he starts working for the yankees he seems like a more respectable member of society a little bit yeah Yeah. he's still an asshole and a sociopath but he's got a little more together i do love the great opening with george at the beach unshaven with the music playing oh i know just reminiscing about his life and taking a close examination as to like how it all went wrong at the beginning of the episode elaine is up and george is down and that will slowly change over the course of the 24 minutes or whatever at monks george approaches a woman named victoria played by dd pfeiffer the younger sister of michelle oh that's right who was very close to getting marla in season four wow i guess they remembered her and held on I always like Dee Dee Pfeiffer. She's in a movie called Vamp that I'm a fan of. Yeah, you've talked about that before. I think I watched it with you. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> but yes, we did Didn't watch it. did make a huge impression on Matt, apparently. Yeah, no. <laughs> She's an actress. She's been around. She was in Playboy. You know, she was on a TV show. I think she was on Civil Shepherd's show. Okay. In the 90s. What was that called? Was that just called Sybil? Sybil. Yeah, I think she was on Sybil or something for like a few seasons. She's out there. It's weird that she is the connection to the Yankees. It's like her uncle I know. or something. Yeah, it's something that when I would watch the show on TV, a lot of the time I'd see George working for the Yankees, and you're like, how does this loser end up here? And it's just sort of, he an just accident. dates this girl, yeah. And yeah, and she's never in another episode right. or anything. 
Kramer appears on Regis and Kathy Lee to promote this upcoming coffee table. Hilarious. Book. Just like plants a huge kiss on Kathy <laughs> Lee. Like, <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It made me think about like, man, how long ago was it that Regis and Kathy Lee was the show on the air? You know, obviously it spun into like Regis and Kelly and then other iterations. But when I was a kid growing up, I knew it as Regis and Kathy Lee. And you're just like, oh, yeah. My mom used to watch it all the time. So long ago. Yeah. I remember staying home from school or whatever and watching it. It was on every day. It still is, although now it's who is it? Is it Kelly Ripa? I I don't know who she does it with. Ryan Seacrest. now. Maybe. I have no idea. At one idea. point, it was Michael Strahan That's right. for a while. Yep. Yeah, it was Regis and Kelly for a, a long time, fair amount of years. But Regis and Kathy Lee was the beginning, and I remember like wrestlers used to be on it, like oh, from yeah. WWF and stuff, and I would always like love that. But Regis and Kathy Lee both were game and funny, and this whole segment is pretty funny. <laughs> it just spits that coffee back out, right? <laughs> and then you know loses all of his other public appearances as a result. Jake Jarmel is dating Elaine. He gets into a car accident, and she stops off to buy Juji Fruits, which is unbelievable. Yeah. I feel like it's weird that he gets this mad about it. It's yeah, fine. and also the way he deduces things. Like, yeah. how does he know that the usher told oh, her before right. she bought the... He just knows that? It, it doesn't, doesn't seem sense. like a lie. It seems like a lie you could easily get away with. I know, but it's still funny. Yeah, though. it is. Yeah. <laughs> he appeared in Season 5, Episode 4, The Sniffing Accountant, which is sort of a weak episode. But he also appeared in, I believe it was the beginning of season four when they go to L.A. He okay. was a cop. Oh, wow. All right. He wasn't playing Jake Jarmel, but it was the same actor. <laughs> I think he appears one other time later, right, with the glasses or something? Maybe. I don't know. Remember, he has like a special uh, pair of glasses yes, and then yes. Elaine okay, finds I the do. glasses or right. something like yeah. that. He's publishing a book or something. George gets an interview with the Yankees thanks to Victoria, and he's being interviewed by Paul Gleason, who played the principal in The Breakfast That's Club. That's right. Although we never see him again at the Yankees. He's not really involved. We get a puffy shirt reference somewhere in the episode. It might be for Kramer's Regis and Kathy Lee appearance. Jerry's like, I'll loan you my puffy shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they do mention that George, when he gets this job, which he gets by being honest, and then right. he, he tells... yeah, yeah. Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner, what's up? Yeah, it's the first appearance of Larry David doing the Steinbrenner thing. But when he gets the job and he's like celebrating with Jerry and everything, he says that he's going to go on the road trips with the Yankees. That's right. That never yeah, comes yeah. up again. <laughs> <laughs> he's like assistant to the traveling secretary, like whatever job that is. Yeah, they just gave him like right. the most ridiculous, generic, low-level job they could think of. No offense to anyone who's actually the assistant to the traveling secretary. <laughs> I'm sure many listeners of the show hold that position. But things go badly for Elaine. Pendant Publishing is going to go under, so she's going to lose her job thanks to Juji Fruits, and she also lost her man because of the Juji Fruits. That's right. And she's also getting kicked out of her apartment. Her <laughs> George goes, roommate reappears. Moving with my parents. Yeah, I know. That's a great line. <laughs> yeah. Her roommate, who hasn't been on the show at this point in a while, what's her name? Siobhan Fallon, I think, is that actress? Yeah. Is that, is that, that what it is? I, I don't know. That She's in right. the house that Jack built. Okay. She's also in Men in Black. All right. She's yeah. She's like Edgar. That oh, movie. yeah. Right, right, right. She's always hilarious as Elaine's roommate. She makes a reappearance to say that Elaine's getting kicked out because she buzzed up a jewel thief, <laughs> <laughs> amongst other complaints. And so you have Elaine dressing like George at Monk's, and she's like, I'm George. 
I'm George. <laughs> I must have had at least eight in my mouth. I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk. Why'd you have to eat so many? Because they're juji fruit. I like them. I didn't know it would start a chain reaction that would lead to the end of Pendant Publishing. Not to mention the end of Kramer's coffee table yeah, book. You knew he had a cold. How'd you expect him to blow his nose? Yeah. Do you know what's going on here? Can't you see what's happened? I've become George. Don't say that. It's true. I'm George. I'm George. Greetings, people. Greetings. Greetings and salutations. What a beautiful day for a ball game. Let's play two. <laughs> oh, I'll have the uh, chicken salad on rye, my usual. You know what I get, darling. <laughs> So, let's see. I had a little conversation today with Mr. Don Mattingly. He's the first baseman. Uh-huh. <laughs> we talked about his new batting stance, and I'm not crazy about it, but I said, Donnie, go with it till it stops working. <laughs> Donnie baseball. He's a hell of a guy. Wait, wait, wait. That's too much. Mine was more than yours. Ah, let's call it even. <laughs> Jerry, meanwhile, one up, one down. Oh, yeah. Everything balances out. And that's how the episode ends, with a high note for George getting this job with the Yankees, Elaine falling on hard times, and Jerry breaking even. George is just so good in it, though. What a beautiful day for a ball game! <laughs> Let's play two. Yeah, but even like this old dating thing where she's like, you know, do you want to come inside? And he's like, no, I don't think we know each other that well. When he flips out on those kids making noise at the oh, theater, I was, like, I was expecting scream. you to do that yesterday. Yeah, I know. Wow, dude, I was seething. I was getting close. Maybe we'll talk about that more when we talk about Scream. But Yeah, oh. we saw Scream yesterday. There was a pack of wild children just talking the entire time. Uh, but not about the movie. No, like, no, no. You know what I mean? Just talking about like their boyfriends or whatever. Phones playing. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't seem like they could even be old enough no. maybe to be in the movie. It, it was ridiculous. And I was like, I didn't sleep well the night before. And whenever I'm kind of like tired like that, like my senses start kind of <laughs> honing in on things around me. So I was just like, all I could focus on was them just being like so loud. I, yeah. I'm always good at tuning that out. There was almost like a... I know, I was surprised. You seemed like it didn't bother you really on the level that it was bothering me. I've gotten used to it over the years. I've definitely had some experiences like that. There before. was about to be a, a George like flip out. <laughs> oh, God. I would have laughed if yeah. you pulled that move. <laughs> well, I offered, like, let's move up to the front. Yeah, I know, but that seemed weird, too. I think we could have done... Nobody would have. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But then we're like making a statement. That's yeah, more like, okay. I feel like that was the extent <laughs> yeah, of a statement true. that would be needed. Yeah, we needed a statement. You're right. All right, missed opportunity. The last episode on the agenda is an episode from season nine, even though I think last time I was like, oh, there's only one good episode in season nine. And this is definitely one that the idea of it transcends the show at this point. It's like oh, for famous sure. in pop culture, like well beyond just like this episode. I think originally I, I picked this one for round two because we were planning on doing this closer to Christmas. Right. It was always going to come after New Year's and everything, but I think the idea was like we would be doing this closer to Christmas. Now it seems, you know, way past, but whatever. We're of course talking about The Strike, season nine, episode 10. And you might be wondering, what do you mean? Because the title doesn't really fit with right. what, what the most famous aspect of the show is which is festivus that's right written by dan o'keefe alec berg and jeff schaefer directed by andy ackerman jerry goes out with a woman who is sometimes beautiful sometimes not so much (laughs) 
Kramer goes back to work at H&H Bagels after a long strike finally ends. Yeah. George makes up a charity while Elaine gives out fake phone numbers. Things come to a head at Festivus, an alternative holiday invented by George's father, Frank. Many Christmases ago, I went to buy a doll for my son. I reached for the last one they had, but so did another man. As I rained blows upon him, I realized there had to be another way. What happened to the doll? It was destroyed. But out of that, a new holiday was born. A Festivus for the rest of us. That must have been some kind of doll. She was. Jerry's insane shallowness highlighted once again. Festivus is based off of a real thing. Festivus was based on a holiday created by writer Dan O'Keefe's father, though several aspects with no basis in the real holiday were added. I like how they say the real holiday, as right. if this thing that it's he created is recognized. real. The things that were created for the show include the aluminum pole, the December 23rd observance, the real Festivus had no set date and was held spontaneously. There's some other stuff, too. Yeah. But... The fact that it actually came from one of the writers' real lives is hilarious. Whenever the other two found out about it, they were like, oh, no, this has to go in. We have to include this in the real thing. <laughs> right. And it just got sucked into the world of Seinfeld, which caused another pop culture blip to go beyond the scope of the show, where Festivus is its own iconic thing now. Right. It's sort of a stacked episode. It's got Watley. Oh, yeah. Kruger, who's underrated. A lot of heroes. George's parents. Yeah. The episode opens at Watley's party. There's a guy, played by Kevin McDonald, wearing a denim vest, approaching oh, Elaine, which is very funny to denim me. Denim on denim crime. He's smoothing it, yeah. Jerry. <laughs> Jerry's like pulling his arm away I, so that he could talk to that woman. I love Elaine having the fake number. Just a standard fake. At all times. and <laughs> That's such a great idea for an episode of a show like that she gives out this fake number all the time but it actually goes to like a business and they're constantly having <laughs> and then to she has calls. to intersect yeah. with the business <laughs> kramer reveals that he's been on strike that he worked at h&h bagels 12 years ago but hilarious he wrote strike for 12 <laughs> yeah. years. i love that they actually called him as if right. <laughs> it's sort of like the library episode about this library book from yeah, 20 the years strikes ago. over <laughs> as mentioned elaine ends up tracking down the real location of her fake phone number it's a, a horse track betting that's right yeah <laughs> one of the guys the main guy behind the counter is tracy letts who played ladybird's dad in ladybird but also is a writer and wrote plays including yeah. killer joe which we did on this podcast how much are we these two guys that work at this off-track betting place i'm a man <laughs> <laughs> elaine comes up with a new fake because she's suspicious of these guys that work at the horse betting place so then she right. comes she gives them h and h bagels number and then she puts a bet on a horse before she leaves that's right jerry realizes that the woman he met at wiley's party is a two-face as they describe her which means that sometimes she's attractive and sometimes she's not depending on the lighting yeah fairly insensitive it's a rough storyline and it's yeah. not actually that funny either no if it was very funny then i would just sort of forgive it and move on it never really plays out the woman playing the Two-Face, whenever she's supposed to be ugly, like she, they had her like stick a thing like in, in her upper lip, in her mouth, and right. her lip was like weird, and they, they they just had like weird stuff happening. I think they had her put something in her nose, too, yeah, or yeah. something. I don't know. It, it was 
kind of a bad idea. It, it doesn't no. age well. I like when Kramer brings over the bagels to give to Jerry and George. <laughs> At first, they're concerned that he had his hands in the dough, and he's like, no, I didn't make those. And then they start eating them. They're like, they're day old. Right. <laughs> because the homeless won't even touch them. Sometimes we would put some fresh ones on top to to trick them, but they dig. That's they, right. They test. <laughs> Frank shows up at Monk's and starts playing the Festivus cassette tape, which is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I love George just so sheepish about this. Like, Jerry constantly wants to bring this up, and George just wants nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's almost like the wedgie incident with Heyman right. in the library. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't an atomic wedgie. What does it say about me that I find the quote-unquote Fright Night version of Elaine to be very sexy? I know. I'm into it, too. I think it's just a different look for... (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Something about running mascara, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) God. Guys are just disgusting pigs. It's just you feel like there's a history of darkness there when you see that running mascara. (laughs) And you're like, I'm in. This seems like chaotic. future of darkness as well. (laughs) Definitely. It all culminates in a festivist dinner at the Costanzas, including Kruger showing up because George has to come up with an excuse for the fake charity that he created. And I do love the continuity of him recognizing Kramer and saying Dr. Van Nostrum because they had that episode where Kramer was pretending to be Dr. Van Nostrum, the the skin doctor. But then later, Kruger just doesn't seem that concerned when people are referring to him as Kramer. Right. <laughs> and saying that he's to go work at the bagel store. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the OTB guys show up. That's right. It's a, yeah, this is some, uh, yeah, this is some holiday dinner now. <laughs> and Elaine asks, how did my horse do? <laughs> and he's like, he had to be shot. And when Julia Louis-Dreyfus was on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee... They brought up this moment because Elaine could not get through the scene without laughing. And her ex- explanation was because it starts with so much hope. Like, it's a question of hope <laughs> only to have, like, the worst possible yeah, answer. Yeah. He had to be shot. And that's when she tells Jerry that Tracy Letts won the Pulitzer Prize for August Osage County. That's and Jerry was just like, what? <laughs> like, blown away by this. <laughs> yeah, this that's random funny. guy. Yeah. Frank keeps pronouncing Kruger Cougar. <laughs> Which I also found to be funny. <laughs> All right, Cougar. <laughs> I like. You couldn't smooth a sheet with a hot babe. Oh, well, when it. Elaine shows up at the house, she's like, "Hello, Frank," and he just goes, "Hello, woman." <laughs> <laughs> no, that's at the bagel. Place. Oh yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> they always had a weird relationship. Yeah. This was probably was this before or after the episode, which ends in them about to fight. Oh, I don't know. It's got to be after. That's not right. This is pretty deep in the run. Yeah, but that might have been a last season episode, too. I'm okay. not sure, though. I don't know. That might have been when Elaine danced. I don't know what episode that is. Yeah. And that'll do it for Seinfeld. Folks. Folks. One of the great shows of all time. We will get to a volume three and probably four and maybe beyond at some point. So if you like Seinfeld, yeah, I think stick people in there. liked the first one. So hopefully this one did it for you as well. Yeah, you can always check out these episodes on Netflix now. It's a great show. Probably everyone knows that already. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's called yeah. Seinfeld. Check it out. And this will be the last episode you hear from me as I get in a car accident on my drive home. I'll grow <laughs> up. <laughs> You're going to be fine. All right. Got to get that sidewinder. Yeah. And check out Give Us a Seconds in the Future for more television content from your old friends at 
the greatest moments in the history of forever. Find us on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and review if you get a chance. Let us know if you'd like a sticker on Twitter as well. Find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983. Matt Crosby, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with a regular episode next week. So hang in there. (laughs) Real soon. He had to be shot.